So did anybody um, here grow up believing one thing, and maybe you asked at some point someone in your family, like your mom or your grandma, and they confirmed it, but they were low-key messing with you, but you take grandma at her word, right? If she says something is true, it is true. But then you found out later that it was actually very false. (laughs) Or maybe you grew up believing that something was fake or definitely untrue, and then years later, you find out that it is actually very real. (laughs) Okay, glad I'm not alone here because I see some heads nodding, so that's good. So I have a couple of confessions to make tonight, and you guys can go and tweet about it, tell all your friends, that's fine, but this is also a safe place, so if we could just keep it here, I don't want everybody to think that I'm dumb, but I have some confessions for you. So first of all, um, unicorns and narwhals. So they're fairly similar, right? Like they both are creatures that have, I see some people turning into each other asking what a narwhal is. I love you. (laughs) They both have huge horns on the top of their heads, okay? So unicorns, I've seen many of those depicted throughout culture. I'm a little, you know, since I was a little girl, I'm a girl, it's on t-shirts, it's on bathing suits, it's on everything, still is. At Target, you go, there are unicorns everywhere. Anyways, um, it's pretty common that, you know, hooved creatures have huge horns on their heads, okay? So I always thought that's so strange. Like a narwhal is a whale (laughs) that has a huge horn on the front of its head, but I had never actually seen one of these depicted. So I was watching the best movie ever when it first came out a couple of years ago, Elf. Anybody else? Yes. And when Elf is going to say bye to all of his friends in the North Pole and go and meet his dad for the first time in New York, he's saying bye to all of his North Pole friends, and a narwhal comes out of the water. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a narwhal. I finally have seen one. So cool. So weird, but so cool. So you can imagine what it must have been like for me when I went to SeaWorld. And I was standing in an exhibit, and I turned around, because before then, unicorns and narwhals were kind of all grouped in the same category as, like, werewolves, vampires, um, pegasus. You guys know what those are? Horse with wings, okay? So, like, mythical, mystical creatures. So I turn around in this exhibit, and a narwhal comes out of the water, this whale with a huge horn on the top of its head. If you could imagine what the size of my eyes were, because up until that point, I believed that this was a fictional creature. Narwhals are very real. Has anybody here actually seen one in person? Okay, so maybe you're learning for the first time too. (laughs) So I have another story. Okay, so one day I was just minding my business in my apartment, you know, just like scrolling through my phone or whatever, and our apartment wasn't really known for having great reception. So I was just kind of like, I don't know if I was texting or looking at social media or whatever, but I just kind of started like, you know, messing with it and, you know, trying to see if I could find reception. And I felt like someone was looking at me. And I look over and my husband is actually like staring at me in the doorway. And he has the most kind of like disgusted, you are an insane person look on his face. (laughs) To which I stop, I'm like, what is up? And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? Like, 
I'm trying to find reception. And he's like, but what are you doing? And I was like, well, and then at that point, I stopped. And I'm like, hmm. So at some point, I didn't really think much beyond this because it sounded right and it made sense. But someone at some point told me that if you make figure eights, with your phone, that it activates something in your phone and it sends out a signal to where the phone tries to reconnect to service. (laughs) And it kind of made sense because many times in movies or sometimes you see people who are walking around, right, with their phone and they're holding it up in the corner. And so I'm like, all right, well, it's activating something and hopefully I'm going to find a satellite close by and I'm going to reconnect. And he's like, no. I don't know where you got that from, but not even close, okay? So there's my confessions for you tonight. I promise I'm really bright. But we are in the last week of our series, Love Thy Neighbor. And this week, we are going to take a look at what does it truly look like to live generously? And why have we been called to a life to live generously and how can we actually live this out in a culture that seems to promote something in the name of truth but a lot of the things that we're inundated with are actually in direct contradiction to the word of God. So I have to warn you that tonight for some of us that this might sting a little bit but I believe because this is kind of a word that God's been stirring in my heart that I'm very passionate about over the last five to six months, kind of been putting this together, because I believe that this word is crucial to our knowledge, but also to our growth and maturity as believers and followers of Christ, mainly because this is going to determine your credibility to how the people in your life and the rest of the world who's watching how you live your life view you and your credibility as a Christ follower. So before we are able to talk about what does it truly look like to live generously, it's important, I think, that we first kind of take a step back, a step back in order that we can actually move forward in what is honesty, in what is real truth. What's crazy is I learned that every day the average person is actually bombarded with over 5,000 images a day from graphics to memes, to tweets or or retweets or shares or reshares. We have so much information coming at us all the time. And we have to decide that if we say that we are Christ followers, and if we believe that this good story is more than just a good story, that in fact, it is everything that we lay and build the foundation of our lives upon, then we have to pause and reflect time to time. We have to pause and reflect and be sure that our current beliefs and our current ideals and our priorities, and yes, our feeds, what our lives are ultimately reflecting to the rest of the world, that they are a direct reflection on the heart and the teachings of Jesus because that is the only absolute truth. So I don't know if anybody has ever spent any time studying in the book of Galatians before, Um, 
But Galatians is actually written by our boy Paul, and we have talked about Paul many times here in the exchange. And Paul, I love because he was just totally straightforward to the point, doesn't get it twisted kind of dude, okay? So what's funny is all the other books that he wrote in the Bible actually start out like, oh my goodness, like I just thank my God every time that I think about you. You guys are so great. You're so wonderful. Like, you are totally like my people. We are family. I'm so proud of you. So he's always kind of encouraging and supporting all of these things. But what's funny about him too is whenever he has to bring a hard truth, he kind of packs it into what's called like an Oreo effect because when you bring some hard truth, I think they say that you have to bring like two positives for every one negative that you have to say to somebody. So say tomorrow, our boy Paul was going to pull you into, you know, a little one-on-one -on -one meeting. So you would come in, you would sit down. Of course, you give him a hug first because Paul's all about the love and support and encouragement first. And he's like, you know what? I just really love your heart. <laughs> you have such a big heart, and I just love that about you. And I just really appreciate everything that you do and all the work that you do around here. And then he'd be like, all right, so there's some things that we got to talk about. There's some things that we got to kind of get straightened out, okay? But then he would leave you, and he would say, but again, I just really love your heart. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're here, and I want you to stay here, and you have so much to add here, okay? So I just, I just love you. So that's what I love about Paul. Okay? He, knows, he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to communicate to people. But what's funny, in the book of Galatians, so this book was written to the churches in Galatia, and he just starts out, and he totally doesn't sugarcoat. Okay? No top Oreo. He says, y'all have got to get your lives together. <laughs> like, you guys have completely missed the mark here. Okay? So the churches in Galatia had actually started to allow some false teachings and some false prophets to start making their way into the church and kind of form this like new, fresh, um, really hype and inspiring type of theology and stuff that was just gaining a lot of popularity, to be honest. And Paul was writing them and he's saying, you know what, we're going to shut it all down, like shut it down. And he starts out by first stating who he was and who he claimed to be, which basically said, I am Paul, I am no one, okay? Just wanna get that straight. But I do wanna let you know who sent me because he is the only one who has the ability to anoint and give power to anybody and he is the only authority. And he has sent me here to have a word with you. So he boasted in him, okay? So by doing this, Paul first wanted to make it clear to the believers that he was not there for their acceptance. <laughs> He was not there to be popular. He was not there to gain notoriety. He didn't care. He was the type that he just came in, he spit the truth, and he was like, peace, okay? So basically, you would have never probably found Paul. I don't know if you guys have heard of Preacher Sneakers. Um, he would have never been on that website. And if you haven't heard of it, Google it. It's actually pretty entertaining. But he was not after popularity. This is what Paul, I believe, would also still be preaching today. Hey, I know some of you guys have had some of these like 
popular, super good looking, really smooth talking communicators like coming into the church. And some of you girls have like totally fangirled, by the way. But it has caused you to shrink back. It has caused you to water down the truth and make it more comfortable for people. You have watered down the message and the grace of the gospel. And to be honest, I feel like you guys are starting to create your own God that you want to worship. Galatians 1.6, he actually says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. See, even though this letter in Galatians was written in about 49 AD, I believe it is still just as relevant for the church today as it was then. Because just because it sounds good, just because it gets a lot of likes or a lot of tweets or retweets, just because it's inspiring or gets you hype or even more, just because it confirms what you really want to hear so that you can go on to do what you really want to do, does not mean it's truth. Does not mean it is biblical. And I'll say this too. Just because you hear something out of the mouth of a pastor or a teacher or a communicator that you follow, it is your responsibility as a Christ follower, someone who is supposed to be growing and maturing in the Lord, to go and research it and hold it up against the truth of the word of God yourself, especially if something is not sitting right with you or it seems just maybe close enough. It is your responsibility because I can tell you guys before I come up here and teach I pray when I am researching and, and praying about the messages before I come up here I say God if there is anything in me that is coming to put myself forward or twist the truth in any way whatsoever or to water down your word please reveal it to me because I don't want to be held responsible for that and if you have a pastor that doesn't believe as strongly in that then that's a problem because this is what we base our lives on, right? And I don't want to base my life on any sort of half-truth, do you? It's either all true or it's not true at all. A lot of what we hear today at the root of it, even what I've slowly started to hear creeping into the church is really a bunch of self-glorifying and unbiblical contradictions to God's word and his very mandate for our lives, which is to love God and to love our neighbor and to live generously. See, many places throughout the Bible, it actually states that in the last days, there will be many false teachers and false prophets that will be coming in to confuse things. Things that sound really good and things that sound truly beneficial but are actually in direct conflict with the truth. And if we are not careful to regularly hold these things up against what sounds good, against what the word says, that we can end up building an entire world around ourselves. An echo chamber 
of beliefs that support what it is we want to see, what it is that we want to hear, and what it is that we want to believe, because sometimes our emotions, they just lie, guys, right? You ever been all up in your feelings, and then you're like, I should have never said what I said. I should have never did what I did, because our emotions lie. Our heart is deceitful, and sometimes our past and our undealt with baggage can end up seducing us into investing our time and our energy and our talents and our resources into what feels good at the time. But those things will always under deliver every time because they serve no kingdom purpose and they will never have any lasting and eternal impact. But you can bet on this. If your enemy cannot have your heart for eternity, he will make it his personal mission to distract you, to overwhelm you, and consume you with investing in all the seemingly good. All the seemingly good things that inevitably go into building our own kingdoms. That's right, good things. Arranging our schedules, slowly reprioritizing with all the good things, all the things that add to you, all the things that bring you joy, all the things that make you happy. Because why? The world says you deserve it, right? Go after it. It's all about you. You deserve it. See, the enemy, he knows better than to fool you with anything less than the seemingly good. If it was so black and white, you know better. But we get tripped up and consumed by all of the good. But the Bible tells us that he is an enemy who masks himself as an angel of light, taking truth and twisting it just enough. Just enough. See, back before GPS, if any of you guys can imagine that, if you were a sailor or any sort of adventurer and you were going to have to go and plot um, your journey and you would probably have to use, I don't know, like a ruler or a compass, a protractor. Does anyone even use those anymore? But you would start out, okay, and you could be maybe just a little few degrees, you know, to the left or the right of the center at first. But then all of a sudden, when you get thousands of miles away from your starting point, at the same time, you are now thousands of miles away from your intended destination. Because when you started out, it wasn't that big of a deal. You were just a couple degrees off of center. You were just to the left or just to the right. You were close enough. But now all of a sudden you find that you are way out, stuck in the middle of nowhere, and you have no idea how you even ended up there. Because you were just off center. Tonight, I believe that some of us need to be reminded that we are at war, and it is your enemy's goal to make sure that you forget that altogether. To be consumed with the seemingly good. But in order to grow and mature as believers... We've got to learn how to discern truth from lies first before we can even grow in our trust and our relationship with the Lord 
We have to learn how to discern what is truth and what is not. Because sometimes discerning truth is as much about determining what is true about God as much as it is about determining what is not true about God as well. So here's just a couple of quotes that I've heard over the last couple of weeks and couple of months, and they kind of repackage themselves a little bit with different wording, but the same kind of gist. If people do not pour into your energy, then you might need to remove yourselves from them. But the Bible says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. How about this? If a place no longer brings you joy, then it is time that you move on, or better yet, create a new space. So what does it have to say about the cross? The scripture tells us that when we suffer well for the glory of God, trusting him in our everyday to be our provider, to be our sustainer, that he is faithful. The scriptures tell us that when perseverance produces in us a sound mind and strength of character so that one day we will be perfect and lacking no good thing. And another one, you guys have heard this one. Life is too short not to be happy, right? So be happy. Do what makes you happy and don't feel guilty about any of it. But the word says... Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said that if you will lay down your life, you will find life in abundance. You will find joy. You will find peace. So a lot of these things, they sound really good, right? They do at first. But now I'm also kind of confused, (laughs) If something is just a tad off-center, to the right or to the left, it is not truth at all. And that is what I want you to hear. In Galatians, Paul is rebuking the church for allowing false prophets to come in and transpose the truth, is the actual Greek word, which means to distort it or alter it or shift it around or better yet, make it more palatable, right? So how can then we discern what is truth? How can we grow to know what is of God and what is not of God? If any of you guys were in any sort of youth group for five hot minutes, or maybe you had this for like a work icebreaker or something, there's this one game to where one person is it, and you have your team behind you here, And then you have another team behind you here. And since I'm it, I put the blindfold on, okay? And then there is a maze set before me. And then my goal is to get to the other end. And then the person behind me, my teammate, is supposed to give me instructions how to navigate through this maze so I can get to the other end. But at the same time, there's the other team over here, right? And I'm supposed to hear this voice over all the directions that are coming at me over there, which are trying to get me off course. So I have to so intentionally block out every noise 
that is coming at me so that I can hear that one still small voice. The voice that is going to help me to navigate through what I need to get through to get to the other side. This is how we build relationships. Because how am I supposed to know that voice? I had to have spent time with that person. I had to have known that person. And that's just like how it is in any relationship, right? If you want to build a relationship, you have to know them and you have to spend time with them. It's the same thing with God. So we have to know him. When we come up against trying to discern what is truth and what is not, we need to ask ourselves the question, is this consistent with the character of Jesus? Because have you ever heard a story before and someone tried to say something about someone you knew or one of your friends and you're just like, not them. That would never happen. Because you know them, right? You know their character. So instantly, you are able to determine that is not true. And second, we have to spend time with him. We have to spend time in the word so that we can ask ourselves the question when we are presented with a decision or presented with the fact, should we say something to this person? Or is this true or is this not true? Is this consistent with the truth of the word of God? And you know, because you spent time with them. And third, we actually can ask him for wisdom and discernment. That's pretty great, right? That we can just ask the creator of the universe for wisdom and discernment. The entire book of Proverbs is actually written about that to say that those who seek wisdom, those who ask for it, it will be freely given to you. So just ask him when you have something that you're facing and you don't know the right way or what you should do. God, just give me wisdom. So why does living generously even matter? This is where we get the basis for that. In Matthew 22, 34 through 39, we get the great commandment. And the great commandment is where Jesus basically said, we're just going to throw out the law book, okay? Because this is the law of the law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But then, a couple books later, we see in the book of John, Jesus actually raises the bar. And he said, no longer... Is it love your neighbor as yourself? It's love others as I have loved you. I'd say that that's raising the bar, right? Because most days, it's a lot easier to love my neighbor as myself than it is to love my neighbor as Jesus has loved me. But Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 tells us, when it comes to living generously, how do we figure this out? Why does it matter? Ephesians says, watch what God does, and then you do it. It sounds pretty simple. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Spend time with him. Learn a life of love and observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us, but he gave everything of himself to us. Love like that. And then in verse 6, it says, and this is another reminder for us, don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk, but want nothing to do with him. Basically, he's saying, don't hang out with people who all they do is talk the talk, but they never walk the walk. 
don't hang out with people who say that they love, love Jesus or, you know, they're, they're po- but they're posting this or they're talking about this and they're bragging about, you know, this that they watched or yada, yada, you know, like have nothing to do with those people because all those people are going to do, you are who you hang around, right? And if someone sees you hanging around them, then that also can damper your message too. So if the great commandment in loving others comes from, well, gives us, I guess, the clear answer as to why we've been called to live generously, then it's this verse in Ephesians 5 that gives us our how. As believers, generosity is an overflow of our identity as dearly loved children. Generosity ultimately is love in action. So how do we love generously then? What does this look like? So we can give of our time, we can give of our talents, and we can give of our resources. So when it comes to our time, what does that look like for you this week? What does that look like for you in this season? Because our seasons are always gonna change, right? Our time availability is going to change and that's reality. But sometimes it doesn't have to be some like extravagant amount of time that we give to somebody. How about we just text somebody right away when God brings them to our mind and say, just want to let you know, like God brought you to my mind. And I don't know, like if you're going through anything or maybe you do know that they're going through something and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. Is there something that I can do for you? I think we kind of take that for granted and think that's not a big deal, but that is a use of our time in showing love and generosity to somebody and our talents. How are you using your, your hobbies and your, your skills, your gifts, what naturally comes easy to you? How are you using that in this season? How can you just surprise someone at work or school tomorrow or one of your neighbors by doing something that you already love to do and just being generous? with it. In our resources, automatically I'm sure you think of money, and yes, money's great, but our resources can be more than just money too. It can be your apartment, it can be your car. There's many things that we can share. Like just for example, when someone opens up their home for a small group, that's being generous with your resources. So there's so many different ways that we can give from our time and our talents and our resources. And according to Ephesians here, we give our best, we give quickly, and we give sacrificially. So this is the most recent quote that I saw. If a person is not advocating for your peace, then they need to be removed from your life. Everyone was like, "Mm mm-hmm, like, Like, double tap, love that. Amen. Glory, it's a word right here. Got a lot of likes. I love this one. But newsflash, okay? Everyone in your life is not going to be advocating for your peace. In fact, sometimes God's going to put someone into your life so that you can advocate for their peace. And God trusts you enough and thinks that you're mature enough that you can handle a little bit of chaos that they might bring into your life for a season, but he trusts that you're gonna go to him with it because they're just not quite there yet. And here's one that won't get a lot of shares. Everyone in your life is not going to add to you. Be there to serve you. God will allow some people to come into your life 
or sometimes he's going to ask you to stay, or he's going to ask you to go, or he's going to call you to do things that make you really uncomfortable and things that are just really inconvenient. See, the truth of God is not always pretty, guys. It's not always going to be postable. It's not always going to be like reshareable all the time. It's not going to come on a big white piece of paper and be in big black pretty calligraphy. Most of the time, the truth of the grace of God is reckless and it's unsafe and it's offensive to the status quo of how we want to live our lives and what we think that we deserve. And sometimes it's just downright painful. I know that there's times where I'm studying the word and I'm going through and I got like my nice new notebook and like my pretty pens and God's like, I want you to underline that one. And I'm like, no, like I'm not gonna use my pretty pens on that. Like I'm just gonna wait right here until you give me the word that you, I know you have for me today. But if I want to grow in my maturity of the Lord, I have to accept that sometimes what he wants to speak to me, what he asks me to do, that I'm not always gonna like it. See, indicators of a generous life, this is kind of a good test for us to take time to time, are marked by the fruits of the Spirit. We find in Galatians 5, joy, peace, patience, kindness, action, virtue, faith, gentleness, strength. In the book, The Way Back, this was interesting, how Christians blew our credibility and how to get it back. Author Phil Cook states that when non-Christians are asked to describe Christians in their life, How many times do you think any of those words come up? Rarely, right? He proposes throughout the book that as Christians, we have a grave PR problem. We have a communication problem. Our intentions and how we are living, what we are posting about, what we are talking about, and what we are doing is not lining up with what we tell people that we believe. He proposes that in order to win culture back because we've tried protests, we've tried anger strategies, we've tried boycotting, we've tried neutrality, we've tried silence, and none of it has worked. He states that the key to turning heads and getting people to take note of the Jesus that we claim to serve is for us to actually start living generously. And for us to start living generously, that means for us to start loving radically. Much like in the days of the early church in the book of Acts, the early churches rallied together regularly to meet the needs of those in their community and those in their neighborhoods. They gave their best. They gave quickly and in a timely manner. They sacrificed others' needs before their own for the sake of the community and their neighborhood. And you know what happened? The culture was forced to take note. And their church grew by the thousands every single week in such a short amount of time. It jumped borders, it jumped nations, it jumped bodies of water because people were living generously and allowing the message of Christ to be received. And it spread like wildfire because people started to ask, who are those people? Who are those people that call themselves Christians? 
How did they maintain such a peace amongst so much political strife? We could get a dose of that today. How did they maintain such a posture of humility and stay selfless? I want to know who is this God they serve. Just an example. You guys know that Hal and I foster. And across the entire nation of America, over 400,000 kids in foster care today. But there are 350,000 churches. What if just one church took one child? What do you think that that would look like to the rest of the world watching, where they would start whispering and saying, hey, do you know what those Christians did? They totally eradicated a social and an unjust need in our community. Why? Why would someone do that? Can you imagine how Grace Family Church, if we could just dream together, how the exchange could change the face of Tampa Bay, the culture and the climate of this entire area, if we became known for our radical love and our radical generosity more than we became known for what our non-Christian friends think that we really just always take a stand against. Known more for our love than what we are against. What would that do for our culture today? So I looked up a couple words in the Bible, just interested to see how many times some things are mentioned. Believe, mentioned 272 times. That's a good word. Pray, 371 times. Yeah, we should be praying, right? <laughs> Love, 714 times. Obviously, we know God cares about love. Give. 2,152 times. See, every time there is a premise in the Bible, it is always attached to a promise. Whenever God speaks about generous living and about generosity, he says that there is a promise attached to it. So what will living generously do for your life? I just have 12 quick promises that can be found in the Bible. One, it honors God, draws you closer to God, makes you more like Jesus, helps fight materialism, demonstrates your faith, reveals your character, initiates God's blessing, increases your influence, multiplies your efforts. It brings protection it comes with rewards, and it increases your happiness, right? So giving doesn't take. We just see 12 brief examples how giving adds to your life because we serve the God of more, right? The God of abundance. I love the opportunities where I am able to stop in those moments and actually think, but take time with our son to try to teach him generosity because our entitled world says it's all about him, right? So we like to try to get him to see the other. Um, when my husband was growing up, his dad liked this one um, routine where he would take him and his sister to McDonald's and would buy them fries. 
So you can just imagine, right, two little kids, like, getting McDonald's fries and just like any of us fiending for McDonald's fries because, hello, McDonald's fries are the best. So you can imagine them sitting down at the table and their eyes are, like, really big and, like, ready and they can already, like, taste it in their mouth, right? And then his dad turns to his sister and says, hey, you want to share? And she just has this look like, I'm offended. (laughs) I'm angry. Like, why do you want some of my fries? Why do you want to take something that you just gave to me? And the thing was, like, he didn't really want her fries. He definitely didn't need her fries. But he wanted to see her heart. Would she be willing to share what was given to her. And the thing was, he could have bought her more fries, right? He could have gotten back and gotten her a large fry. And who knows, he probably would have bought her ice cream too. But I think sometimes we are like this with God too. That we just hold so tightly to the things that he gives us in our life. We're like, why would you want to take that from me? Why would you want me to give anything that I have, it is mine, right? But we forget, we forget who gave it to us in the first place. I think it's safe to say that God cares about generosity because he is the giver. Everything that you have in your life is from God. Everything that you own, all of your gifts, all of your talents, even everything that you think that you've hustled to get to be where you are, God puts you there. And he's asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I will provide for you, that I will sustain you, that I am truly the God of more and I will always put you in your places? See, he knows in our humanness that we have the tendency to turn inward and to build our own empires and to look out for numero uno because we wanna self-protect and we wanna self-preserve Because culture tells us that. Because even though culture, though, is trying to sell you everything that looks good and sounds good and even feels right, everything that you need to vibe hard and forget the rest, where inevitably you end up building your own castle, he's saying it's all made of sand anyways. But what I am building is an upside down kingdom and it is built on a firm foundation. It is built on the rock and the chief cornerstone and it is eternal and it's gonna last forever. A life built on generosity will undoubtedly make a tired and a hopeless and a desperate world want more of your Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity for us to just all sit here and reflect together. God, to be able to discern the truth, maybe you've already started to pick at our hearts at some of those those false things that we've been believing, thinking that if we could just hustle a little more, that we could gain, that we could add. But Lord, I just thank you so much for the reminder today to be reminded that you are the giver and that you're the giver of all things. And I pray that we would just trust you and learn to discern what is truth and what is lies going forward. I thank you that you are the God of more and that you're not here to take from us, but that if we would just trust 
that your ways are good and that your plans for us are only good. Lord, help us to help build your kingdom instead of our own. In Jesus' name, amen.